How many people here have ever heard of uh, Chintz and Franklin? It's one of my favorites. And a couple of weeks ago, Pam and I were getting ready. We always have Jensen on in the morning when we're getting ready for church, and then Hagee comes on after him. And uh, Jensen was on preaching on this, and I, it just hit me so powerfully. I, I've got to preach that message, man. So it's very similar to what Jensen laid out uh, in his message when he preached on the book of Esther. And I know Brother John, uh, he had asked me to teach on Israel tonight, and I just really, I, you know, I kind of sought the Lord on it. I really didn't have anything, you know, really fresh to give, anything, you know, that wouldn't already be just common knowledge to people. So... But this just kept coming up in my spirit, just kept coming up in my spirit. I said, well, okay, I'm going to share that, Lord. And, amen. Amen. But you know what? Listen, hey, the story of Esther is a lot about Israel. I mean, Israel was saved during this book. So it is about Israel, Brother John. And I know they'll get to listen to this later. Um, but let me, before we jump into this, I want to uh, give you a little uh, quiz going all the way back to the first message on the living in the Laodicean age. How many of y'all remember we were talking about the layers of Scripture? And we discussed three layers of Scripture. Anybody remember what those three layers were? The, yeah, spiritual layer was in between there, the literal then the spiritual layer, you know, we want to take the word literally when we can. But you, you remember we used the illustration when Jesus said that, hey, I'm the bread from heaven, you know, and, and you got to, you got to, he who eats my flesh, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can't be, you know, part of me. And from that day forward, he lost a lot of disciples, it says, because they took him literally when they should have been taking him spiritually. This book is written by a spirit, and it has to be discerned by the spirit. Yes, we can take it literally, but let me, let me tell you, the literal layer is there for the people who are not born again yet, so that you can be just a natural person, you can pick this up, and you can understand we need Jesus. But there's a deeper layer, which is the spiritual layer, it has so many cool things in it. Uh, but then there's the prophetic layer. We talked about that, which is what we're going to be touching on tonight. We're not going to really be touching on the story so much of Esther in its literal sense, but in a prophetic picture of what the church is and God's purpose throughout the ages. And, and we learned that on those uh, prophetic layers, we can just take some of these Old Testament scriptures when they're in the prophetic like that and just use that as a template and lay it over here and it fits. I mean, it's startling how exact think dates are exact. I mean, even down to like if you've read the Harbinger, even the very things that come out of men's mouths are without even knowing it are saying the same exact thing that was already said. So that's kind of what we're going to... Now, if you want some bonus points, remember some other layers we talked about that I didn't mention? Uh, in the paper, uh, the, a layer I call the rhema layer, which is when we're reading the word and it, the Lord quickens that, you know, that's the sword, you know, and it quickens that uh, 
scripture to you for that specific time. And we talked also there's a layer of the Bible code. So there's several little, I mean, it's, this, this book is infinite. And uh, it, it's just mind-boggling how incredible this Bible is. And when it comes to life in your spirit, it just, wow, it just charges me up. All right, well, we're going to be looking at the book of Esther tonight. We've got a lot of scriptures to go over, so let's just start. I think we're going to start with Esther, uh, chapter 1, verse 10, verse uh, 10 through 12. On the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, he commanded Mehuman, Biztha, Harbona, Bigtha, Agtha, Sethar and Carcass, seven eunuchs who served in the presence of King Ahasuerus to bring Queen Vashti before the king wearing her royal crown in order to show her beauty to the people and the officials for she was beautiful to behold. But Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command brought by the eunuchs. Therefore, the king was furious, and his anger burned within him. You know, it's really interesting, the, the name Vashti. I just, out of curiosity, I said, okay, because this typology is so powerful here. I know there's got to be some meaning behind these names. And uh, her name means most beautiful. And, uh, you know, Israel was God's chosen people, his most beautiful bride. He prized above all other peoples of the, the world, right? We know that. And that's what Vashti is a picture of Israel here. And isn't it something that the king... And, and as we're going into this layer, I want you to picture Vashti as Israel, Esther as the church, the king as God, Haman as the Antichrist, and uh, Mordecai, I'm going to call the prophetic voice in the church, crying out. So, that, that's, just keep that in mind as we're going tonight. Uh, now, it, Israel, it, here you have the king calling her to come. He wants to show off her beauty. I guess she's just like, oh, I'm not going to, no, I'm not a, just a piece of merchandise, you know, for you to show off. But it's a perfect picture also of Israel rejecting God. He called her to be his bride and she said, no, I don't want to be your bride. And they rejected Messiah when he came. What a perfect typology we have here. Now we jump on over to chapter 2. Uh, and so the king was furious. And so it was when the king's command and decree were heard. And when many young women were gathered at Sushan, the citadel, under the custody of Haggai, that Esther also was taken to the king's palace into the care of Haggai, the custodian of the women. Now the young woman pleased him, and she obtained his favor, so he readily gave beauty preparations to her, besides her allowance. And then seven choice maidservants were provided for her from the king's palace, and he moved her and her maidservants to the best place in the house of the women. Esther had not revealed her, uh, her people or family, for Mordecai had charged her not to reveal it. 
Here's something. How many times have y'all heard me say the church is hidden in the much bigger apostate church or professing worldly church? Here's a perfect picture. Guess what the name in Hebrew Esther means? To hide or conceal. <laughs> and so God is rejected by his own people uh, that when Messiah came. And not only that, before Messiah, they continuously rejected God. Uh, they continuously were what God would call prostituting or whoring uh, as, as the illustration is used as a wife cheating on her husband. You know, God views the church as his bride now. And we'll get into a little deeper of this. Uh, it's not replacement theology. As a matter of fact, we'll make that vividly clear. Um, but what some great typologies we have here. So the church is hidden, and that name, Esther, means to hide. Now, look at verse 12 here, uh, 2.12. Each young woman's turn came to go in to the king, Ahasuerus, after she had completed 12 months preparation according to the regulations for the women. For thus were the days of their preparation appointed, six months with oil of myrrh and six months with perfumes and preparations for beautifying women. This is a great picture of the sanctifying work and of God in our life, preparing us for the things that he has called us to do. And I love it when Jensen was talking about this. I mean, I'm kind of going in a different direction here. But I love it because Jensen was talking about this is basically a beauty pageant. It's what we're looking at here. And, you know, the king is mesmerized by his harem, you know, of all these beautiful women. And, and, and uh, Vashti wasn't interested in participating in that. So he leaves her behind and finds another beautiful woman he wants to make queen. Uh, <laughs> It's just, it's interesting because uh, the church has failed miserably at bringing the message to the world, which is why America is where we're at today. The church has been in a beauty pageant, so to speak, with the, what, what is it pastor said this morning, skinny jeans and, and <laughs> fog machines and, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, it's just superficial stuff we want to make all appealing to people to get them to come in. But is it changing lives? Is it touching hearts? That's what counts. You know, we don't need all the fancy stuff. If the Holy Ghost is there, that's all you need. Hallelujah. I'm telling you what, the pastor's message this morning was so awesome. And uh, I can see a new fire burning in this man. It's just, it, it's igniting me as well. But, uh, Wow. We, we got to get out of the beauty pageant here. We're not in a beauty pageant. We don't care what we look like, what we sound like, as long as we're pe preaching this and teaching this word. That's what counts. Amen. This is what changes lives right here. <laughs> Amen. This is what changed my life. Ooh, man. Even strung out on meth like we were, man. We sit there, we just, well, Dad's got a Bible here. Let's open it up. Boom. Ooh, there's no high like the most high. It completely blew our minds. Oh, man. All right. Well, where are we at now, Beb? Verse 17 and 18. So, the king loved Esther more than all the other women, 
And she obtained grace and favor in his sight. Have we obtained grace and favor in his sight? <laughs> we, we won the beauty pageant. Hallelujah. We won the king's heart. Praise God. And we found favor in his sight. More than all the virgins. So he set the royal crown upon her head. Hallelujah. There's scriptures for that in the, in the church. Amen. And he made her queen instead of Vashti. Now, uh... Then the king made a great feast, the uh, feast of Esther, for all of his officials and servants. And he proclaimed a holiday in the provinces and gave gifts according to the generosity of a king. Now, I want to make it vividly clear we're not talking about replacement theology here. And so I didn't give this scripture to Bev, but I'm just going to go over here to Romans chapter 11. If there's ever any doubt about uh, this replacement theology, just take them to Romans chapter 11. That'll set them straight. Uh, listen to what Paul says in verse 22 through 24. He says, therefore, consider the goodness and the severity of God. Uh, you know, God is good, but he's also, it can be very severe, can't it? Going against God. Yes. Yes. I love. Yes. And I, that's right. Uh, and I love what he told Paul when Paul got saved. You know, he says, who are you, Lord? You know, I'm Jesus whom you've been persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. <laughs> I'm prodding you and you just, you know, you want to be tough? Okay, well, I can be tough or I'll just, I'll just prod you a little bit harder. I'll just stick that prod in a little bit deeper each time. By golly, I, I can prod as often as you can rebel. But listen, if you've got a call on your life, the prodding will never stop until you get in line with God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Because I'm a stubborn, stubborn guy. Woo! So we consider the goodness and the severity of God. On those who fell, severity. But towards you, goodness, if. Oh, that's a good one, isn't it? If. Woo! What a big word that is. If you continue in his goodness, otherwise you also will be cut off. Do we got to keep this up, church? Is this something we got to keep in enduring until the end? We can't give up. We got to keep going. Keep going full blast, 100%. And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. For you, if you were cut out of the olive tree which is wild by nature and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these who are natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? So Israel's the olive tree. We're the wild olive tree. But God did not forsake them. The, you know, the, even though they mistook Messiah, he came and he died for all. Even the Jews who still want to refuse him, if they'll just come around. And, and Paul goes on to say that God, part of God's plan in this is to make them jealous. And see the blessing of God come upon his new bride. She, you, know, but you know what? 
she's not really a new bride. It's a continuance of that same bride. It's a new, whole new group of people who have chosen to believe in God. Now, even though we have a new covenant with God, it's different, but it's the same God. It's the same bride. And so many of those Jews came on and stayed with Messiah and his blessing, and the new covenant went and was to them, and always is to the Jew first, then to the Greek or the Gentile. So we were grafted in to the original tree. Amen? There is no replacement theology. We're not replacing Israel. Now, I will say this. You know, the promises of God, now as they exist, uh, are, are as far as Israel as a nation is concerned, not as people, we're not talking about people, but Israel as a nation, the promises are earthly. But if you are... In Christ, then the promises are heavenly. <laughs> There's a big difference there. And so, wow, we have heavenly promises. Mm. Well, let's look at, uh, what are we on, three now? New bride, yes, three verses four. Now we're going to introduce the Antichrist and the prophetic voice. Now it happened... When they spoke to him daily that he would not listen to them, that they told it to Haman. So here, in other words, Mordecai, Haman has made a command. Everybody needs to fall down and worship me, basically, and uh, show their allegiance and, and, and to him. And Mordecai wouldn't do it. Mordecai wouldn't do it. He wouldn't bow down to anybody but God, his God, Jehovah. And so he wouldn't do it. And so when it was told to Haman to see whether Mordecai's words would stand, for Mordecai had told them that he was a Jew. And when Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow or pay homage, Haman was filled with wrath. But he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for they had told him of the people of Mordecai. Instead, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews who were throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus, the people of Mordecai. So it wasn't enough that just because Mordecai, I mean, the other Jews may have paid homage to Haman, but it wasn't enough just because Mordecai, he wanted to wipe them all out. He despised God's people. What, man, what a type of Antichrist figure is this? I mean, the first person that comes to my mind is Hitler, of course, you know. But there's many antichrist types who have despised the people of God not just the Jew but the children of God who are under the new covenant as well are despised by antichrist and so here's this picture and and you've got Mordecai he's not going to bow down he's not going to he's not going to have any part we don't want to have we don't we should never be intimidated by the spirit of antichrist there's a lot of stuff that can be going on here in these last days. And, you know, we were talking about, we don't know, we ultimately know we win. We ultimately know sooner or later we're going to be caught up. But we don't know what God's going to do tomorrow. I don't know. Things could get really tough. Or things could completely turn around. We don't know that. I mean, for a season, we could get another season of reproof. How many of you know that that's exactly what Trump was? We were headed, we were headed straight into tribulation, and then lo and behold, even even with all the cheating going on, 
Trump blew everybody's mind and won anyway because he got so many votes, more than they could cover up. So they made sure this last time, oh, we ain't going to let that happen again. But, uh, yeah. But you know what? They're, 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 they're bucking against God. And it, it, it's, I was telling Pam on the way here, we, we don't know what tomorrow brings, but we do know by prophetically in scriptures, all through from cover to cover, the wicked are only allowed to prosper for so long. And then they are all judged. So we don't know. God could, you know, God could rise up. I know there's a lot of people praying for America now. You know, Abraham said, Lord, if he, he came bargained all the way down to 10. If there'd just be 10 righteous, would you spare Sodom? Yeah, if we can find 10 righteous, I'll spare Sodom. But he couldn't even find 10 righteous. I guarantee you there's millions of Christians praying for America, who are righteous in Christ. And, and I don't think God's done with America. I really don't. And uh, we could see some great things happen. With Roe versus Wade overturned? Pam and I were talking on the way here. Man, here's what we're praying now. God, this thing's going now to the states. States like New York, D.C., L.A., you know, uh, California. They're, they're, they're not even going to see any change. But states like, oh, we've already, Stitt's already made huge strides. Basically, abortion's illegal in Oklahoma now. Hallelujah! And, and what my, our prayer needs to be, Pam and I were talking about this, we need to be praying, Lord, just bless the socks off of the states that have done this. So that people can say, whoa, man, what's going on in Oklahoma? Well, we obeyed the Lord. We quit murdering babies. We prayed our guts out for years. And finally, God saw that and he said, you know what? I'm going to bless you while these people are still over here murdering. They can live under the curse if they want to, but I'm going to raise you up. Hallelujah. That's what we need to be praying. Hallelujah. God's not finished with America. Man, that'll preach right there. All right. So we've, now we've been introduced to Antichrist figures in here. Prophetic voices standing against him. Now listen to this. Uh, 4-1. When Mordecai learned all that had happened, he tore his clothes and he put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city and he cried out with a loud and bitter cry. That needs to be the church. We should have been doing this, Pastor, for the last 20 years. That's why we're in the mess that we're in. Because we haven't been moved and touched and, and crying out with bitter tears about the murder and the mayhem and the, the injustice going on in America. We've been silent. We've been playing with our fog machines and skinny jeans, entertaining the people, right? And, uh, hey, no more of that. We, we, we've got to, you know, and I think that's a result of Roe versus Wade is a direct result of prayer. And this, this repentant heart, we're seeing repentance. You know, it never happens as fast as we want to. I've, I've been preaching this same message for 20 years, and it just bounces off of people. Only now are people starting to soak it in, you know, and other preachers you're starting to hear kind of preach this message of, of repentance and holiness and things. that Nobody's ever wants to hear those things. They, they want the prosperity and the faith messages and... And those are all good and stuff, and we need them, but 
we also need to understand that there's a hell and that there's a whole. Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter heaven. When I read that scripture 30 years ago, it broke my heart. And I've been warning against it almost every time I preach. Because I don't want to see, well, for one, I don't want to hear the Lord say, why didn't you warn this person? I told you to warn them. I don't want to hear that. And number two, I just, it breaks my heart. I don't want anybody to go to hell who thinks they're okay. And there's millions of people like that. They think they're okay, and they're not. All right, verse, let's skip, uh, skip on down to verse 4. So Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her, and the queen was deeply distressed. And then she sent, uh, gar- then she sent garments to clothe Mordecai and take his sackcloth away from him, but he would not accept them. And then Esther called Hatash, one of the king's eunuchs, whom he had appointed to attend her, and she gave him a command concerning Mordecai to learn why this was. So here's this, here's this cry in the church we've been hearing for so long. Shh, don't, don't, don't preach that. Shh, calm down. You might offend somebody. Be easy now. Be easy on them. Mordecai, uh-uh. Prophetic voice saying, no, no. I've got to warn. I've got to tell the people. This is no time to be quiet. This is no time for hush-hush. This is no time to tippy-toe. This is a serious thing. We could all be wiped out, <laughs> right? So it's no time for a beauty contest. Let's get rid of the fog machines. <laughs> let's, let's get real here. Let's skip on down to verse 8. And so uh, he gave him a copy of the written decree for their destruction, and which was given at Sushan, that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her, that he might command her to go into the king and make supplication to him and plead before her people. So he had kept a copy of this decree which Haman had made to wipe them all out. He said, oh, let me just have this incriminating evidence. We might could use this later. And so he hangs on to that. And uh, wow. Look at these next scriptures in verse 13. Mordecai told them, answer Esther. Because she inquired of him. Remember, answer her. Don't think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. There's, in other words, there's something going on here that even you being in this palace is not... Don't, don't think for a minute it's going to go easy on you just because everybody else is going to be running scared here. No. Yes. Woo! <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. Prime example. No, for if you remain completely silent at this time... Relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. Wow. This is, and isn't that what we're seeing? Isn't that what we're seeing now? God, the church has been silent on this for so many years, and you're starting to see new faces come up in ministry now. And, and you, people like Mario Murillo are prophesying, it's little churches like this, Pastor, that, are, that God's going to start raising up. And, and some of these bigger conglomerate mega churches who aren't, 
And I'm not type, uh, stereotyping all of them because there's some good mega churches out there. But the ones that aren't preaching the full word, you're going to start seeing them just go. And you're already starting to see some of the mega pastors apostatize and other things. But look, God's drawing the line. He's separating the sheep and the goats right now. He's separating the wheat and the tares. And we're seeing it. We're seeing it. And it's going to get worse. If you're going to be silent at this time, you're going to go down. This is not a time to be silent. This is a time for us to express our faith and proclaim from the rooftops. Hallelujah. Woo. Nope, he'll raise up somebody else if you won't do it. But you and your father's house will perish. See, if you're going to insist on remaining silent, not only will you fall, you'll perish. Yet, who knows whether you've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. <laughs> There's that famous line. This is your hour, church. This is your hour. Hallelujah. For such a time as this, this is the time. Ooh, I feel the Holy Ghost. This, this is your hour. This is your hour. You're going to a new place. You're heading into a new season. This is your hour. We're staying behind here, but this is our hour. This is our time. Hallelujah. God's raising up a whole new generation of people that have put on new wineskins so that that new wine can be poured in for this final season. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Mm-mm-mm. Okay, so verse 16 says, go. Esther says, go. And gather all the Jews who are present in Sushan and fast for me. Neither eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will fast likewise, and so I will go to the king, which is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Do or die. I love it because the prophetic voice is saying, rise up. Just like the ten virgins. Five are foolish, five are wise. The foolish ones, they end up perishing. You know, the wise rise up, they trim their lamps, they've got the extra oil to take along with them, and they're taken up. That's where we're at right now, church. That's where we're at. And, and it, this is the time that we're in, and we've just got to say, you know what? I know it could get rough. I don't know how long Jesus is going to tarry. He may not give us a reprieve. We may be fixing to be raptured out of here, but first we may experience some really ugly things. I don't know, because the Antichrist kingdom is being established right now. And we know he's going to control everybody. He's going to shut the church down. He's going, to, he's going to hate Christians. He's going to do everything he can to stop the word. So we may suffer some of that. I just don't know. But I'm hoping. <laughs> How many of you know we can't live life expecting to be raptured out of here? You know, our pastor uh, at New Covenant Church that was pastoring before we took on the church, he was telling us how his parents, they were pastors before him. And they had thought, they were just so sure that the rapture was going to happen that they just procrastinated everything. And then in their elderly years, they didn't have anything. They had to live off of a little meager uh, Social Security. They had no savings. Because they thought the rapture was for sure going to take place. And it just, no. Even though we're looking for that blessed hope, and I expect to see that eastern sky split tonight, I've got to make plans like it's not for another hundred years. 
And I, I, I've just got to keep that attitude of praying for America, praying for America. Yes, Jesus, you might come, but these aren't wasted prayers. This is not wasted effort. There's no ministry or labor that will be in vain for Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Ooh. Mm. Amen. You guys willing to go all the way through with this? Okay. Well, let's see here. Chapter 5. Now, it happened on the third day. So, let me just back up, though. Prayer and fasting again. This is a time for us to pray and fast. Add a little bit of fasting to your prayer life. It'll go a long way. Especially, it'll help crucify that flesh, which... (laughs) Is so, you know, constantly wanting to be resurrected. Get behind me, you stupid flesh. If I want your opinion, I'll slap it out of you. Now, it happened on the third day that Esther put her royal robes, uh, put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court. Hallelujah. We're going to the inner court, man. Of the king's palace across from the king's house. While the king sat on his royal throne in the royal house, facing the entrance of the house. I love this stuff. When you just look at this typology. Here we are, church, in the inner court, interceding for America, interceding for lost family, interceding for the lost and the hurting and the perishing. And so it was when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court. See, God takes notice. God takes notice when you pray, you fast, you come before him with singing and thanksgiving and prayer and supplication, that he, she found favor in his sight, and the king held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. And then Esther went near and touched the top of the scepter, and the king said to her, What do you wish, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given to you up to half the kingdom. Hallelujah. What do you want? God's saying that to you tonight. What is it you want? Has he put his desires in your heart? He'll give you those desires. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He'll share his entire kingdom with you. Praise God. So Esther answered, if it pleases the king, let the king and Haman come today (laughs) to the banquet that I have prepared for him. Man, this is, this is getting good. We were just talking about this. Now, Esther's got, not only, Esther's got a plan here. This, this is powerful stuff. She's got a plan. She's, she's going to deal with Haman very shrewdly. Um, let's see. Did we just read eight? Have we read eight yet? Okay, let's jump down to eight. If I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and fulfill my request, then let the king and Haman come to the banquet which I prepare for them. And tomorrow I will do as the king has said. Verse 14, Then his wife Zeresh and all his friends said to him, Let a gallows be made. So, so she's saying she's going to have this banquet, and she's inviting the king and Haman to come. And Haman thinks he's going to be highly honored at this banquet. And in the meanwhile, Haman's wife says, Now, why don't you build some gallows while we're waiting for this banquet and build these gallows that we're going to hang all these Jews on, 50 cubits high. And in the morning suggested the king 
that Mordecai be hanged on it and then go merrily with the king to the banquet. <laughs> yeah, right. And the thing pleased Haman, so he had the gallows made. Wow. You know, God knows everything that the enemy is planning against the church. He knows everything. And the enemy is notorious for overplaying his hand constantly. And that's what we're about to see here. And I'm hoping that's what we're about to see in America. Yes. Now, this, we, uh, let's see, verse uh, 1 of chapter 6. Woo! Just going to do a lot of reading here. That night the king could not sleep, so one was commanded to bring the book of the records of the chronicles, and they were read before the king. And it was found written that Mordecai had told Bigtha and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs and doorkeepers who had sought to lay hands on the king. Now, one thing we didn't read in the beginning was there was a plot uncovered, and Mordecai warned of this plot to assassinate the king. And it kind of went unnoticed, but now it's coming to the king's attention. <laughs> what timing God has, right? At the perfect time, he's, oh, yeah. Uh, this guy actually saved your skin, oh great king. Who did? What's his name? <laughs> then the king said, what honor or dignity has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? <laughs> well, we haven't really done anything. Verse 4, so the king said, who is in the court? They said, now Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace. To suggest that the king <laughs> hang Mordecai on the gallows that he had prepared for him. This really gives you a picture of how stupid the devil is. You know, he, he really is. He's stupid. Uh, whenever the devil beats me up, I, I just, I love to remind him of that. I get to feeling down and the devil's just attacking me. I just start reminding him of his future and my future. Big difference. Devil. You rebelled against the Most High God. I submitted to him. Hallelujah. You're going to spend eternity in hell, Satan. I'm going to spend eternity in heaven. Hallelujah. You had every chance. You were created perfect. I was created flawed. <laughs> but I'm going to heaven. You're going to hell. How long you want to sit around here and listen to this, devil? I can talk all day about this. Because we got two different destinies. Amen. And he goes. He goes real quick. He knows his destiny. He blew it. Okay, verse 5. The king's servant said to him, Haman is there standing in the court. And the king said, let him come in. So Haman came in and the king asked him, what shall be done for the man whom the king delights to honor? And Haman thought in his heart, he's going to honor me. <laughs> whom would the king delight to honor more than me? And Haman answered the king, for the man whom the king delights to honor let a royal robe be brought, which the king has worn, and the horse on which the king has ridden, which has a royal crest placed on his head. And there's so much typology here we don't have time to go into. Then let his robe and the horse be delivered to the hand 
of the one of the king's most noble princes, that he may array the man whom the king delights to honor. Then parade him on horseback through the city square. He's, he's really playing it up because I want to be this guy, man. I'm going to be paraded all over the place. Oh. And proclaim before him, thus shall it be done for the man whom the king delights to honor. Then the king said to Haman, hurry, take the robe and the horse that you've suggested and do so for more. <laughs> The Jew, you can, I can see Haman's jaw just dropping right now. Oh, Lord. Leave nothing undone at all that you have spoken. So Haman took the robe and the horse, arrayed Mordecai, and led him on horseback. Wow, is this not a picture of, of the devil having to pay back and restore what he's stolen from you? Hallelujah. Woo! Took back what he stole from me. Mm. Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Afterward, verse 12, Mordecai went back to the king's gate, but Haman hurried to his house, mourning and with his head covered. And when Haman told his wife, Zeresh, and all his friends everything that had happened to him, his wise men and his wife, Zeresh, said to him, If Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, is of Jewish descent, you will not prevail against him, but will surely fall before him. And while they were still talking with him, the king's eunuchs came and hastened to bring Haman to the banquet. Time for the banquet. Come on, time for the banquet. <laughs> he just had to put the robe on Mordecai, and he's ran home just like, oh my God, what have I done? Oh, now it's time to go to the banquet. Wow. Yeah. Chapter 7, verse 9. Now, Harbona, one of the eunuchs, said to the king, Look, the gallows, 50 cubits high, which Haman made for Mordecai, who spoke good on the king's behalf, is standing at the house of Haman. Then the king said, Hang him on it. Hang him on the gallows you built to kill God's people. Woo. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the king's wrath subsided. Wow. Man. You know, we're going to see God's wrath uh, from heaven on the tribulation. And God's wrath will finally subside once he's brought the final judgment on Satan and, and throws him into the pit with the false prophet and... and uh, the Antichrist, wow, we're going to see. And the devil are all thrown into that bottomless pit. Woo! And I'm going to be there with front row seats. Hallelujah. i got a strange feeling the whole church will have front row seat for that. I don't know how God's going to work it out, but no one's going to have to take a back seat. We're all going to be right there on the front row saying, Oh, man, is this he who deceived the nations? Look at that poor rascal. Ooh. Verse 1 of chapter 8, On that day King Ahasuerus gave Queen Esther the house of Haman. So here we see the wealth of the wicked basically uh, laid up for the righteous. Mm. And, and, you know, it's just everything that 
The words of Joseph came up to me when I was reading this too, that everything that the, the, the devil meant for evil, God intends for good. And he's just got a magical way of bringing that to pass. But, uh, uh, for, okay, the king, for Esther had told how he was related to her. And so the king took off his signet ring, which he had taken from Haman, and gave it to Mordecai. And Esther appointed Mordecai over the house of Haman. <laughs> and now Esther spoke again to the king. Now, this is where I want to get. And fell down on his feet and implored him with tears to counteract the evil of Haman, the Agagite, and the scheme which he had devised against the Jews. And the king held out this golden scepter towards Esther. And so Esther arose and stood before the king and said, If it pleases the king, and if I have found favor in his sight, and the thing which seems right to the king, and I am pleasing in his eyes, let it be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman, the son of Haman, uh, the Agagite, which he wrote, to annihilate the Jews who are in the king's provinces. For how can I endure to see the evil that will come to my people? Or how can I endure to see the destruction of my countrymen? Then King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther and Mordecai the Jew, Indeed I have given Esther the house of Haman, and they have hanged him on the gallows because he tried to lay his hand on the Jews. You yourselves write a decree concerning the Jews, as you please, in the king's name, and seal it with the king's signet ring. For whatever is written in the king's name and sealed with the king's signet ring, no one can revoke. The thing I want you to see about Esther right here is this wisdom. This comes with that preparation time that she said, I want you all to pray and fast with me for three days so we can get... And she, she gave this a lot of thought. And you see the wisdom of God here. And what you see is... She's putting the threat to death once and for all. Because you, you, you would think, well, we read already two chapters ago. He, he's dead. He's gone. They hung him on the gallows. They gave him the house of Haman. But the decree was still out there. And she said, we can't let this stand. We've got to finish what we started here. And too many times we leave it halfway done. Let this be a lesson. I had a, a dream one time from the Lord. And like many of my dreams, I'm sitting here fighting this big, giant demon guy. And uh, I, I killed him, but he, he got back up, came back to life. And so I'm back on top of him, and I'm just sitting here gouging his eyes out. And, and uh, I kill him like again, and then I, I just like, I leave it undone. And I thought to myself... I'm going to cut his head off. But I didn't do it because I was afraid of what the people would think. And then I woke up. And that was the Lord telling me, you've got to finish the job, son. You can't just halfway cast out a demon. You can't halfway deal with the things that are deep, deep down in here that I'm revealing. You've got to finish it. You've got to finish it. Just like David. That's why he cut off Goliath's head. You've got to finish this thing. You can't. Leave it halfway undone because they'll resurrect every time and they'll come back seven times worse. Hallelujah. 9-1. Now in the twelfth month, that is the month of Adar, on the thirteenth day, 
the time came for the king's command and his decree to be executed. On the day that the enemies of the Jews had hoped to overpower them, the opposite occurred. (laughs) In that the Jews themselves overpowered those who hated him, hated them. Wow. let's, Let's just believe this is a prophecy for America today. We've got a lot of people out there plotting our demise, trying to shut the church down, trying to control our every move, trying to censor free speech. I'm just going to believe that God's got some plans. What they plan for evil, he's got intending for good. And that what they think, they've, over, they've overplayed their hand this time. Hallelujah. Uh, if, if Jesus tarries, we're winning. We're winning. Haman's going to hang on his own gallows. Amen. I hope you guys enjoyed this tonight. Let's just lift up to the Lord. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your prophetic word and the types and shadows that you put in there for us. Lord, they give us hope today. They give us hope in this dark hour that we're living in that you can just swoop in and turn things around in a heartbeat, Lord. And we thank you. We thank you for the prayers that have been answered to overturn this Roe versus Wade. Lord, hear our prayers and continue to hear our cries, Lord. We want Jesus to come quickly, but if he tarries, oh Lord, bless these states who, who, who are just making abortion illegal. Bless them that people may see clearly and plainly, wow, you're up to something in this place because they're obedient to your word and your will and your ways. We thank you for putting Haman in his place. We thank you for exalting your son, Jesus, and us who are in him. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Love you guys. What I was going to tell you about regarding Roe v. Wade, the fight's not over. You are absolutely correct because Saturday I was strolling through Twitter and the Satanic Temple, the official page for the Satanic Temple, posted that they were going to petition to have abortion put under religious exemption for child sacrifice. The fight's not over. And the, the, yeah, it will so, yeah. Sacrificing to their God. I saw where this woman who has some kind of organization that she calls the pro choice, she came out and she posted a picture of a small baby in the womb, you know, fetus size. And she said, look, let's quit trying to say this isn't a life. Let's call it what it is. Let's call it killing because we don't want to have forced birth. And so they're being real in your face about it. Yeah. 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 Very bold. Yeah. And, you know, just, Pam, we sit here and you see these young people. It breaks my heart. They're just out there and, and all their mouths are like, you know, they're just screaming. It's just demonic manifestations, screaming because we can't murder children anymore. Just, it's just demonic. Whew. 